My name is Ivan Sronk, one of your elders serving you here. And we're at the point in the worship service where we'll read the passage that Dan will be teaching on here shortly. Uh, this morning's passage is Luke 7, and that can be found on page 1099 of the Black Pew Bibles. Those Pew Bibles can be found underneath the seat in front of you there. Um, I'm going to be reading verse 36. It says one place in the bulletin, verse 26, but I'm going to be starting at verse 36, reading through verse 50 of Luke 7. And as is our tradition here, if you are physically able, we'd ask that in honor of the reading of God's word uh, that you would stand. Luke 7, starting at verse 36. One of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him, and he went into the Pharisee's house and reclined at table. And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment, and standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears, and wiped them with the hair of her head, and kissed his feet, and anointed them with the ointment. <clears throat> Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answered him, answered, answering said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, Say it, teacher. A certain moneylender had two debtors, one owned owed 500 denarii, the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now which of them would love him more? Simon answered, the one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, you have judged rightly. Then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house, you gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little, loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Then those who were at the table with him began to say among themselves, who is this? Who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. As recorded for us in Isaiah 40, the grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of our God stands forever. Please be seated. Please turn to Luke chapter 5, 7, 7 verse 35, 36, something like that, I don't know. One of those mornings, I think that hour has kind of impacted me, and the coffee I had very early is now gone. So, um, have you ever been at a really awkward meal where just things are going on? You're almost like an outsider, just watching to see what happens. 
I think I was 13. It was uh, dinner time. My dad, my brother, and I were eating. My mom had passed a couple of years ago, or before that, and my dad was still learning how to cook. I'm not sure that was the reason this happened, but at some point, my brother got up from the table, went to the freezer to get more ice, and something was going on between my dad and my brother. I can't remember, but I do remember my brother took some ice, and he threw it at my dad. And I was like, oh no, what's going to happen? And I just felt this awkwardness, almost like I'm pulled out of the scene and I'm just looking down at this confrontation that was about to take place. And I didn't know what to do. So I just watched. Have you ever felt that before? You're just watching and it looks like there's going to be this incredible conflict, this, this butting of heads and you don't know how it's going to end. That's what we're going to find in the passage this morning. There's this gospel drama that's taking place with three actors, and it's shocking. Uh, People are caught off guard, and they want to see what happens. Now, it it has some similarity. There's another passage later in the Gospels where a different person comes and pours perfume on Jesus, but it's a different event, very different setting, and Jesus has very different words to say to this woman But I want you to be thinking about this. As we go through this passage, I want you to see how Jesus welcomes sinners, how Jesus promises to forgive sinners, and when embracing that forgiveness by faith, sinners then move to love and to live for Jesus. So that's where we're headed this morning. If you would pray with me. Father, help us as we look at this story. For some of may be very familiar, others may have never heard this before. Lord, help us to feel both the shock and the emotion that's taking place in this story, to see the gospel drama unfold. And may you help us to to be participants, that what we see take place there would change how we think about ourselves, how we think about Jesus, how we think about other people, and ultimately change how we live our lives. I ask this in Christ's name. Amen. This story feels weird from the get-go for us, right? I mean, you're having dinner. Like, imagine you're kind of like, this wouldn't happen in my house. I mean, it's not like someone's going to come walk in the door and say, hey, I'm here for dinner. I mean, that rarely happens that a complete stranger will walk in. But back then, they lived differently than we did. Like, so particularly rich people would have big homes, and kind of in the middle that have this courtyard that could be somewhat shut off, but people would watch. It's like early reality TV. They're like, hey, there's a big banquet at Simon's house. Let's go watch. And people would like be sitting out windows and watching and listening to the dialogue going on, and people knew that was going on. That was kind of a thing. And so you have to imagine that there's a little bit of, uh, I don't know, buzz about Jesus. He's been teaching with authority. He's been healing people. The Pharisees have kind of knocked heads with Jesus a couple times, and the Pharisees invited Jesus to dinner. This could be good. And so they gather around, and I can almost picture this like a play being produced. It's a three-person play. You might have a few extras just to kind of fill out the scene, but there are three main players. And it's fascinating that the first player who comes in with the spotlight doesn't have a name. And she has no lines. And yet, 
it is the most powerful presentation really in the whole drama. Look at verse 39. Well, let me help you. Again, another thing that's kind of odd. We, we come to our dinners and we kind of pull up our chairs and we sit around at the table. Back then, they didn't. They, they would lay down at the table. They'd kind of recline on their left arm and they'd be eating with their, their right and their feet would be back behind them. And there'd be an open spot for the servants to come and, and put the food down. So then, verse 37 says this, or verse 30, yeah, verse 37. And behold, a woman of the city. Now, if this was a play, you can imagine that you'll see Jesus and this Pharisee, we don't know his name yet, and a few other people, and all of a sudden the spotlight comes on the side. Behold, like boom, the light comes on this woman. We don't really use that much anymore, right? You don't hear your kids go, Father, Mother, behold. There's a squirrel climbing up the tree. You're like, hey, look at that. Can you see that? Oh my gosh, you have to watch this. This is going to be incredible. That's what's going on here. Luke is like, watch this because it is about to get real here. This woman, a woman of the city, doesn't mean that's where she was born. Okay, This is Luke saying, this is a woman who is a prostitute. And he uses some other words in there to make that clear. Words that are actually pretty uncomfortable if they were translated even more literally. This woman, who's a sinner, so this prostitute comes walking in, and she comes up behind Jesus. Remember, his feet are behind him. And you can imagine that the murmuring that was going on around the dinner table just stops. It's silence. Everybody's eyes are on the spotlight of this anonymous woman of the city. And she comes in and she begins to weep. And her tears are falling on Jesus' feet. And as they fall on his feet, you can almost see the rivulets travel down his feet and the dirt kind of pull aside. And she has nothing to wipe his feet. So she undoes her hair. She gets down and begins to wipe his feet clean. For most of us, that's just like, ew, gross. I mean, think how close I would have to get and how long it would take to dry his feet. (laughs) Take quite a while. But most of us are just like, ugh, that's kind of gross. In this time period, you only let your hair down when you were in the bedroom with your husband. This was a very sensual act. And so she's taking her beautiful hair and letting it down and wiping his feet. And then Luke says she has an alabaster jar of perfume, and we learn from elsewhere, like, this is is significant money. She's invested some of her money into this container of beautiful perfume and she, she pours it over Jesus' feet. She's pouring out her money that she has earned to clean his feet and then she begins to kiss his feet. And Luke uses the word of, of touching her that would have been associated with a woman of the city. He's using her hair and her lips 
to honor and to worship Jesus. And meanwhile, the Pharisee, still not named yet, you can just see him looking in judgment as, goes, as his mind begins to churn. If Jesus was a prophet, he would know what kind of woman she is. And if he was a prophet and knew what kind of woman she was, he would never let her touch him. So he had these assumptions of what holiness looked like because he was very careful about being ritually pure. Pharisees didn't think they were sinless, but they worked really hard to stay ritually pure, ceremonially clean, so they could go in to worship God. And if you touched someone who was unclean, then you became unclean. And so this woman who was living her life in such a way that she would be perpetually unclean and unfit to go into the presence of God and worship him, he's saying, of course, this prophet would never let her touch him. And I I love what happens next. He's saying to himself all these things, right? And then Jesus answering him. But he hasn't said anything. I hope you caught that. He's thinking this, and Jesus goes ahead and answers him, though he said not a word. Who's the real prophet? So he asks him, can I say something to you? Well, yes. You can imagine. I I can't wait to hear what you have to say because you let that woman touch you. And so he tells him a little story that is filled with emotion. I think we just run through it so quickly. And Jesus is brilliantly speaking to both Simon and the woman at the same time. A certain money lender had two debtors. Now, again, Luke is using a word, a very intentional word. Debtor is a synonym for sinner. You were in debt to God because you had not obeyed him fully. And what Jesus is saying is, Simon... You and this woman are sinners. One owed 50 denarii, which is about two months' wages, and the other owed 500, which is about 10 months or 20 months' wages. But notice, neither of them could be repaid, whether it was a smaller debt or a larger debt. Because again, at that time, you were living pretty much day to day, let alone how would you plan to pay off two months of debt, let alone 20 months of debt. So both Simon and the anonymous woman have a debt they can't pay. And so he asks him, who will love him more? The one who is forgiven little or the one who is forgiven much? And Simon gets it the one who is forgiven much. And the trap just sunk its teeth in the Simon. But we don't know how he's going to respond. We aren't told that. Again, I think Luke is trying to help us say, where are you in this story? Do you realize, one, that you're a debtor, that you're a sinner? It's a word that our culture doesn't really like anymore. 
And it might be really offensive to you this morning because you might be thinking, you don't know me. Who are you to judge me? I'm nobody to judge you. I'm a sinner and a debtor. I mean, I, I haven't loved my kids or my wife, my friends, you, like I want to, let alone how God wants me to. Not as patient or kind or generous as I'd like to be, nor how much God wants me to be. Now, in fact, one that's message that's clear throughout all the Bible is that everybody has fallen short of God's standard of perfect holiness, loving people every moment of the day for their good, not just for your good. And so while Simon wouldn't have denied that he was a sinner, he really did look at himself as better than others because of how he lived. There was a self-righteousness there, a pride. And the thing is, that's a real danger for us in the church. And children growing up in the church, it's really dangerous for you. Because you're being taught how to live. That as we follow Jesus and how he's explained life to us, when we live life a certain way, things go well for us and for other people. And so oftentimes, if you were to compare yourself, you're going to be nicer and kinder and gentler and usually more obedient than, than other kids. So you can begin to think, oh, it's because of me. I'm a good kid. Instead of, no, God's given me grace to show me how I ought to live, and though I don't always do it. And so you can become kind of proud and, and judgmental and look your nose down on other people. That can happen being in the church after a while. And so he's really challenging this, this sense of Simon's blindness to his own sin and need for a Savior. Before we jump on Simon's case, though, we ask you this question. Imagine you came in this morning, and I was sitting out on the couch out there, and there was a lady that was clearly a prostitute and dressed like a prostitute, and she was washing my feet. And as she went to dry them, she didn't have anything, and she took off her top and began to dry my feet. Now it's not gross anymore. It's shocking, right? Like, ugh. I mean, you walk by, how many of you would be like, hey, Dan? You'd be like, who is that? Think of the early service? <laughs> You'd be shocked, and you should be. But I want you to understand, that's the shock going on. In fact, the commentary on the Old Testament called the Talmud, they actually said that if a woman lets her hair down in public, that's as bad as being topless in public. Okay, so there's shock, not just, ew, my hair, oh, gross, I just dried it, it's straightened. Like, I wouldn't wash it, dry anything with it. No, this is something very provocative and shocking, and what's significant is how Jesus responds to her. Jesus could have said, hey, hey, sit down and eat with us. Don't wash my feet, though, don't, don't touch me. Or after she cried tears, like, no, you don't have to dry my feet. No, don't pour the perfume. But he didn't. Because he could see what she was doing. All Simon could see was her past. And what he knew of her past reputation. And where she got her money. And how she used her hair. 
But Jesus saw her worshiping him with the very things with which she had sinned against him. Her life was now transformed. And she was pouring out love for her Savior. And it stands in such stark contrast to Simon. Again, isn't it interesting that the woman who has no lines and no name, Jesus doesn't really even speak much to her except of her great love. Look, look at the comparison. This is in verse 44. So then turning to the woman, he said to Simon, isn't that interesting? He turns to the woman and looks at her while he's speaking to Simon. I want you to think how much courage it took for her to step in there. To know how she would be judged. To know how she would be viewed. Not entirely certain of how Jesus might receive her. Yet she went and she showed her love in front of everyone for him. And so as he looks at her, he says these things to Simon. I entered your house and you didn't give me water for my feet. See, that's what a good host would do back then. They, the roads were dusty. They would work. They, they would walk everywhere. They would enter the house, and a servant would come and clean your feet. And Simon didn't even offer that to Jesus. But she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You, you gave me no kiss. Again, as the host would let them in, would usually kiss them on the cheek and welcome them. And Simon didn't welcome Jesus. Not with a kiss, anyways. But from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. I can still almost see Jesus locking eyes with her as he speaks to Simon. You kissed my feet. You washed my feet with your tears. And then lastly, he goes and says, you didn't anoint my head with oil but she has anointed my feet with ointment. What an incredible contrast. She was the host of the dinner party. He did nothing. My guess is he was there maybe to find out more about Jesus, but he was pretty judgmental. He didn't welcome him. He didn't embrace him. He didn't want to get too close because it might ruin his reputation and him being that way, he actually missed the righteousness and the cleansing of Jesus. He who is forgiven little loves little. And it looks like he loved not at all. He who is forgiven much loves much. And she gave everything she had to Jesus in acts of love and acts of service. And he says this, your sins are forgiven. And actually the way he's phrasing it, it'd be better to say, he, he, he's essentially saying, I see that you have been forgiven by the way you're responding to me. He's not granting forgiveness in this moment because of her actions. That'd be meritorious. But he's saying, you are a forgiven person. You know that. That's why you're here worshiping me. So now I want you to go in peace. 
And that word peace doesn't mean like peace and tranquility as we think of, just a, a nice, beautiful blue day, puffy clouds, nice gentle breeze, 72 degrees, just quiet, what we long for. This is the idea of shalom from the Old Testament, this wholeheartedness of peace, this, that all of life seems to make sense, that how we were made and how God has made us, we're enjoying and delighting in Him, that there's purpose and that there's hope and there's joy in life. No matter what comes, shalom can exist even in the midst of chaos and hardship. And so as she is being interacted with Jesus, we see that Jesus really is this amazing prophet, priest, and king to her. He's a prophet who's spoken into her life, and he knows her. He's this priest who's saying your sins are forgiven, and we know that he forgives sins because of his death on the cross, that he went there so that our sins could be paid for in full by him. And he's a king, and the king's job, both in the Old Testament and forward, was to usher in peace for the people of God. And so here is Jesus, the perfect prophet, priest, and king, speaking into her life, and in so doing, also offering and challenging Simon. Simon, what are you going to do now? I mean, the people watching said, who is this who even forgives sins? That's what Luke wants the reader to wrestle with. Who is this Jesus? And how will you respond to him? He is the perfect prophet, priest, and king. And I think, I think we can be challenged by asking ourselves, do we love little or do we love much? Sometimes our inaction reveals more than our action. Do you try to get by with just the minimum so that people think you're following Jesus? This can be true for children and adults. Like We do just enough when we're around the right people so they see us that we know the Bible verses or you know, we're kind to people, but then we leave and like, hey, nah, I've done enough. Now he should be giving to me. Are you generous with your time for other people? Are you generous with the riches God's given to you? Or is giving of your time and your money really an afterthought? Giving kind of what's left over, if there's any. Whether it's of your time, your energy, your finances. See, she was so transformed by the forgiveness of God as she received it by faith that everything in her life was brought to Jesus. All that she was, all that she had, said, you are my everything. And I want to follow you, whatever the cost. So a couple points of application. Are you willing to admit that you're a debtor? That you're a sinner? that you need a Savior. And whether you're a 50 denarii sinner or a 500 denarii sinner, you still need a Savior.
because you can't pay it yourself. So for some of you, this may be the day that you're finally honest with yourself and with God and some of the people around you and say, you know what? I really am a sinner. I've just been an arrogant, self-righteous person. Or you've been an irreligious person and just kept God at a distance, but he's brought you here this day for you to say, no, I need to be forgiven. See, if you don't have shalom in your life, you either have never experienced the forgiveness of Christ or you've forgotten that forgiveness and you're living for something else. And so for some of you this morning, you might need to be reminded that you are a sinner. You've been in the church for too long in some ways and you've forgotten that you're a debtor and that you are that creaky, shrill, angry hinge of self-righteousness that pushes people away from Jesus and the church. That you do look down your nose at certain people. You've been around the church probably long enough that you might hear that, oh, so-and-so, man, they did this. What do you think of when you hear about somebody who falls in the church? Do you go, yeah, I saw that one coming. Doesn't surprise me. Or does your heart break? Do you pray for them to repent and come to Jesus to know his forgiveness? Are you humbled that God has protected you and preserved you from your own sin and fall? Do you forget how much you have been forgiven? I want myself, I want you, I want us as a church to be a place that welcomes sinners. Because if not, you're not going to welcome me. I want us to be a place that welcomes 500,000 denarii sinners and brings them to Jesus who brings forgiveness and peace. That's our mission. Jesus is the physician who came to heal the sick, to save the unrighteous. And not one of us is righteous enough. What a drama. What a beautiful picture of the gospel. This anonymous, speechless woman who lived and loved Jesus because of all that he had done and promised and came to know peace. I can only imagine the lack of peace she had before as people used her, shunned her, and then Jesus came along and welcomed her, forgave her, and sent her off in peace. May that be us as a church. That we are thankful that the Lord's face shines upon us and we want the nations to know of this incredible forgiveness that can be found in Jesus. That we won't pull away from people. Let me ask you it this way. Who is it that you would not welcome to sit around your dinner table? What type of person, what group of people might you say, not them? May God make us 
welcomers of sinners, pointing people to the forgiveness and peace that is found in him as he creates this new community, this life of grace among his people. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for Jesus, who is a friend of sinners, a forgiver of sinners. And thank you that it is by faith that we are forgiven. Lord, keep us from being a self-righteous people who look down our noses at others and forget the debt we have. May we know that we've been forgiven much so that we might love you with our whole heart, soul, mind, and strength. That we would love others as you have loved us. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen.